Hi, good evening and welcome to another Moments with Norma. Well, today, my listeners, is a very special day. In fact, the whole week has been a special week for me. But today is my birthday and um, I am using um, today's podcast really um, to talk more about me. And for all of those of you who have sent me, already sent me birthday wishes, whether on Facebook or on WhatsApp, I thank you all and I appreciate you all. And I give thanks for all of you today. That's part of my life and my journey. Um, Yesterday, my voice sounds a little bit mashed up. Because obviously it uh, um, wasn't just my birthday, but a very dear um, friend of mine. Um, it was her birthday as well um, on Friday. And uh, we went out. I don't normally go out. And so it was kind of nice for me to go out and share in her celebration for her birthday. And we went to... Um, West End um, to a lovely uh, a place where we um, saw the um, show and there was just lovely dancing. It was um, Café de Paris or Café de Paris where they had some lovely um, dancing and uh, f- um, people doing the fire in the mouth and the fire all over. And yeah, it was just a lovely evening. And um, had, um, you know, um, food on the table. And um, also, um, after the shows were all over, um, we um, had the floor to dance. And it was a real lovely evening um, for me because I haven't done um, anything like that for the longest time. And so it was lovely. Um to share in her birth and in her celebration of life. Now, um, today's uh, podcast is just entitled Life. And as it's my birthday and I wanted to do some reflection with you all and to encourage you all, um, the title sounds perfect. Um, so, um, let me get straight into, um, uh, this, uh, podcast with you. Um, my life expectancy, um, when I was five, um, I was not, um, expected to live past, um, so today, reaching 64 years is something to be thankful for. As I said, at the age of five, I was diagnosed with a hole in my heart. And uh, this um, was the term years ago, um, then, back then that they used for um, 
anyone that was sick um, with um, what we now know as a mitral heart valve. So um, the mitral valve on my left side, which takes away all the toxicity and all the waste blood um, and blood that has, has already been used um, by the body, um, was um, not working properly. So has the um, valve, um, the right valve, the tricuspic valve, on the right side when that closes off all the fresh blood um, it would automatically open the valve of the left side of the heart so that the uh, blood that the body has used up can go into there um, to be um, uh, flushed away uh, from the body back to the left lungs um, to be purified and then well it's just the whole system of the heart I'm not going to go through it um, but the whole system of the heart so that mitral valve for me um, the doors was not closing properly so I would have um, waste spilling back uh, into my system and of course, when that blood spills back into your system, it's also um, poisonous blood. It's waste blood that no longer um, is healthy uh, for, for, for the body. So um, they used to call it a hole in the heart, but it's really um, the mitral heart valve not closing. As a child, um, I never had the luxury of having my mom, my dad, or my brothers and sisters to take care of me uh, once I was diagnosed with this mitral heart valve uh, problem. And I, I had to leave the mountaintop uh, that we lived on um, because it was too high. Uh, for me and that pressure uh, and altitude did not help the in the process of my heart um, working effectively as it was already damaged so it caused more problem and so um, I needed to come down from my mountaintop and to live closer to hospital and so my parents would obviously um, find what we now call foster families uh, for me to live with. And uh, during this process of my illness and um, going into hospital uh, in and out, I have seen many children die uh, from heart uh, defect as mine, as myself, and never had, they never had the opportunity uh, to live their full life. And I had a strength, or you could say a faith within me, that no matter how sick I was, I was not going to die. And 
During this process, I de developed this inner strength as I spent many days alone. As the condition of life then uh, is far from what it is now. And in those days, um, people had to go to work. Um, you know, people had to do their farming or whatever their hustle was. Life wasn't as it is now where when you're sick, um, here in England anyway, um, you get sick benefit. Um, there's always help uh, from the government to take care of your sick child and so that you could stay home. So when everybody had gone to school or gone farming or wherever they had to go to work, as a five-year-old, I had to stay by myself. Um, sometimes it depends um, in which foster home I was placed in. There might be a neighbor that would keep an eye on me. And um, other times, um, there was no one, um, and I had to um, literally uh, stay by myself. There was no neighbours to keep an eye on me. And then um, also, um, I was fortunate um, at one of my foster carers, um, um, it was um, a pastor, and they had a lovely home, and I had people there to stay with me. And also the, the school was on the premises, so I was able to go to school because obviously one of the things with uh, uh, the issue of my heart was that I was not able to go to school um, often uh, because um, it would always um, be very um, um, challenging uh, for me. I might go to school for one or two days and uh, I would constantly be having um, serious nosebleeds, that kind of thing. Um, and obviously also becoming very short of breath. And so all those um, challenges that would come um, would not allow me to um, go to school for a long time. Um, in those young years of my life, I understood that life was worth living and I was going to live. There was never a time that I felt fear, as most of our fears are learned from people's, from other people's fear. On reflection of my life, I, I lived on the hedge of death as a young child. I now know that part of my survival and will to choose life to live was because I was not able to live with my family. As a mother, my mother would have showed me how to be fearful. As love and too much sympathy can make you weak and helpless and can allow fear into your emotions as you become aware or more aware that your body is sick. During my journey alone 
And when I say alone, I mean without my mom and my close family. Was life saving for me as I had to learn to go deep within as I spend many days on my own. Alone is where you either invite fear or strength to keep you company. And I chose strength. Life is the most precious gift of consciousness. Some of us have fear of dying as we can't remember what home is like. And some of us have fears of living as we become disconnected from our source. We allow and take in so much chatter. We allow what others think and think about us. If we be our true and authentic self, to influence how we value and how we see ourselves, we allow thoughts of I can't, I am not good enough, as so much insecurities in our life. Instead of thoughts that I am, I am good enough, I am loved, and I am supported. Just to share with you one of my choice to life. On my eighth birthday, with three other boys, we were selected for the very first mitral heart valve replacement that they did here in England. And in fact, there was four of us, but one of the young boys, um, his or his parents had enough money and they had already started um, this operation in America and they were able to take him to America. Um, I'm not quite sure if he made it. I'm not quite sure whether or not he did uh, manage to get to America um, before. Um, I, I'm not quite sure, but that was the intentions when um, they took him out of hospital, they were going to take him to America. And the funny thing is, um, I had a choice at the time because my uh, heart uh, consultant um, in Jamaica was a lovely beautiful um, lady from Miami Art Institute and she would come down to Jamaica to do her pro bono work for um, sick children who had heart defects and she had suggested um, to my mother that I was going to die anyway, um, and uh, it wasn't even a 50-50, it was just a matter of when, and uh, they had actually uh, was looking for participants 
to um, join the, 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 the scheme in America to have um, mitral valve replacements. And when my mother wrote to my dad, who was already in England, he wasn't too keen on that because there was no one, uh, there was no family um, in America to keep an eye on me. So he made some inquiries here in England and found out that they were actually looking for participants here in England. And as he was already here, he thought it was best that I came to England. And so, as I said, this uh, the fourth young uh, child, um, they um, wanted to take him to America. And I, as I said, I don't know whether he managed to get there. And if he got there, I'm not quite sure what ended up happening to him. But there was uh, um, uh, four of us left, three boys and me, myself. And um, the first boy um, here in England um, who had his first, um, who was the first to have this um, operation, after he came out of intensive care and he was back on the ward and uh, it was not long after he came back on the ward, um, one night um, he um, had a turn for the worse and he wasn't on any machines and I um, heard him struggling and I rang the emergency bell for the nurses to come and you know, they quickly pulled the screen around him and they, in those days, you know, they would have that crash machine which they carry and uh, the doctor would have to hurry up and come and then, you know, they would, you know, put the paddles on and, you know, do the electric shock to bring the heart back. And uh, that's how they used to do it. Nowadays, it's not even done like that. They're so far advanced um, with that, that they leave um, a, 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 a electrical lead um, in your heart when they do the operation and that electrical um, lead is hooked up onto the computer and really this computer is just keeping you alive you know and as soon as your heart makes a dip or or, or, or you crashing out it just boom it just gives you that electric shock and um, you know your heart start working or the machine just takes over and beats your heart until you know it revives itself. So in those days, um, we weren't so fortunate. And of course, they would bring the crash team in. And by the time sometime the crash team comes, um, you know, or by the time even the nurse or whoever gets there first, you know, start doing the compressions um, on you, um, sometimes it's too late. And so I raised the alarm for him, um, but um, he died. Um, and it was so funny. I was um, waiting up to see what was happening to him. I was lying there still, you know, listening to what was going on behind the curtain because he was right next, his bed was right next door uh, to my bed. And of course, um, I kind of thought, well, you know what, I'm not going to get involved in it. And one of the good things that I have um, that I've learned within me is when someone is going through their own 
um, issues is to remove myself away from it, um, not to tune into it, not to participate um, in their experience. And so I thought to myself, nah, it's okay. I'm just going to go back to sleep and I'll find out what happened in the morning. And of course, um, during um, my sleep, they actually um, took him away because he died. So when I woke up in the morning and um, I saw his bed perfectly made, um, I said to the nurse, so, you know, what's happening? What has happened to him? And they said, oh, they had to take him back to the special ward, which was the intensive ward. And of course, you know, um, I had enough sense to know that he had died. You know, um, because I was used to death. I had seen so many of my other young friends uh, in Jamaica um, um, dying or, you know, know, know that they had died. And um, I used to help out on the adult wards. And uh, in those days, the adult ward were mixed wards. And... They were, um, the children ward was on the side um, at the beginning as you enter into the wards and then you'd go into um, the adult area um, and there were always um, mixed wards. And um, I used to go into the adult ward because um, it was boring being on the um, children's ward and some of the other, um, uh, the other boys um, they weren't strong enough to be walking. They were really um, probably much um, closer to death than I was. And I was able um, to walk around. So I used to go onto the adult ward uh, just to help out. I would bring their magazines for them. Or if they needed a bedpan, I would go and get the nurse to bring a bedpan. Um, and... Um, yeah, just to 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 um, chat and to talk to them, and to have um, you know some conversations with them rather than just um, sitting in the children's ward. And uh, in the children's ward, there was also lots of babies, so there were we were mixing with you know like new newborn babies, and um, I just found it far more. Um, better for me to go onto the adult ward and be very, to be a bit more useful. And um, on the adult ward, um, you know, the they would have conversations with the nurses and the nurses obviously would um, tell them, you know, what was wrong with us or what was wrong with me and um, the other boys um, that was waiting for the same operation. And of course, you know, um, like adults, there would be all the whispers um, that they would have um, amongst themselves. And um, <laughs> and of course, um, I can always um, remember, you know, um, when the first boy died, um, the whispers um, that went on on the adult ward, um, um, you know, um, saying that um, he didn't make it and so the nurses saying that um, he was in intensive I already knew um, wasn't true and then 
um, the other two boys, um, they went before me and had um, their operation, but they never came back uh, to the main ward. Um, and so um, when I asked the nurses, so what's happening to them again, they would use the excuse that, um, that they were in this intensive ward and uh, that's where they were keeping them for their own safety. But of course, um, I knew um, that they had not made it. And for me, um, I had already lost, as I said, so many of my um, young friends and I, had, and I had already had experience of my two um, grandmothers' death. So I was very much familiar um, at that age with death. And uh, the alone time I spent taught me not to listen to what's going uh, on or what's being said in the outer world, but to listen uh, to my inner self. I was fearless of my sickness, fearless of the pain. I never once felt sorry for myself. Even when I heard the adults on the ward saying, uh, I'm going to say it like they say it because obviously it was in, a, in, in Leeds and they would say, um, poor love, um, you know, it's, it's her turn next. And um, I used to say to myself when I heard them saying that poor love, um, um, did they really think I'm, I've, I'm going to come this far to die? And that's what I used to say to myself. Did they really think that I've come this far to die? Now, on this today, my 64th birthday, I have outlived my expectancy of the 10 years that I was expected to live because I chose life. Now that I am older, I realize that uh, why people are not able to heal themselves is the fear. As soon as they are told or they realize that they are healed with something, they start becoming fearful because they are afraid of dying. They are afraid of not having their independence. They are fearful of having to rely on others. All kinds of fear sets in when the physical illness takes hold of their bodies. On my reflection, I realize for me, it's not having the influence of sympathy from close family to absorb their fears. When my mother was alive, she never stopped giving thanks in all things. At the beginning and at the end of all her conversations, it was in all things, give thanks. After my father died, 
I called my mother every day for nine years at the same time. No matter where I was in the world, even if I travelled away, I would make sure I would call her at the same time. One, because um, she was deaf and so she was able to expect, she watched the clock and she would expect that mm, Norma's going to call in a minute. And always her greetings was when I asked her, how you are today, mum? And she would say, I'm giving thanks for I'm still on the land of the living. On Wednesday uh, this week, it was a very memorable day for me as well, as it's has been now two years since my second heart valve replacement. And um, I can now say that I truly understand the deeper meaning of giving thanks. Giving thanks is strengthening your intention of what you wish to manifest as your life experience. I give thanks for my life and I choose life. I give thanks for all of you who are listening to my voice on this podcast and for taking the time to support me. You are all part of this great journey of my life. We are all the songs that the universe sings. I encourage you all to choose your best life of peace that is within all of us. As when you open the package of peace, you will find love, happiness, joy, and all the fullness of what life should be in abundance. Thank you for taking this time for sharing this moment with me. Give thanks and grow into your greatness.